brilliant to hear that story from start to finish, whether you were part of hearing it at Southern a long time ago or whether that's the first time you've heard it. Thanks for sharing that, Marion. Really, really great. So we're continuing our Justice and Advocacy Month. And today, obviously, we've looked at global poverty and heard great stories about in, in small and large ways how those things have been improved through simple actions. I think the prayer that we have prayed probably a lot during this year at Southern is this idea of God's kingdom, of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this idea of ushering in the kingdom has been a big um, focus, particularly in a world that feels very broken. Now, you may be um, thinking that whether consciously or subconsciously, that this this Old Testament part of the Bible, this big chunk here, that's all about the rules and regulations. That's all about war and distress and, and an angry God that's, that's full of strangeness. And then Jesus ushers in the kingdom. Then the kingdom work is done. Then Jesus comes. He goes to the cross and that's where it begins. Whether we consciously think that or not, that often is the way that we interpret it. But it's not the case at all, as you probably know logically. That's not um, how God works. That's not how God worked in the Old Testament. Um, we, in 2014, stayed in Brooklyn, and I may have told some of you this before, but we stayed in a, a very Orthodox Jewish area and stayed in a hotel that was predominantly for Jewish people. So we were, when we went up to the top floor, top floor of like five floors in this fairly run down hotel, we found that there were two sinks and it went directly back to these Old Testament Exodus commandments, Leviticus commandments about how to operate about this new way of operating in the world. So let me unpack that a little bit. So when the Israelites came out of Egypt, out of slavery, Moses started to unpack for them a new way for community to happen, a new way to express freedom. And quite a bit of it, as we look through Exodus and Leviticus and get kind of dragged down in these lengthy instructions on how community is going to work, we hear things like how to deal with moldy bread, um, what we should be doing in as we're slaughtering animals. I mean, so relevant for us, aren't they? But it was entirely relevant for a community of people living in the wilderness in an ancient world, much like in hopefully in 20, 30, 40 years time, people look back and they hear all their instructions about social distancing and wearing a mask and putting sanitizer on. Hopefully they'll look at us and go, why are they banging on about that? Well, that's why they were banging on about it in this community because it was important as they lived in this ancient world. But that wasn't all that was being expressed. As these people came out of slavery and into freedom, God gave them a new way of operating not just on the practical, pragmatic ways of living, but on how to be community. And it's really interesting as we think about ushering in the kingdom, this is where those first instructions were given. In Exodus 22 through to chapter 25, you'll hear instructions like this on this is how the community should operate. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. This is an instruction given to a community. 
Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is in need, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. These are the kinds of instructions about community living, about kingdom living. Do not deny justice to the poor people in their lawsuits. There are instructions around leaving paddocks to rest every seven years. Environmentally, it makes so much sense, but also it says so that the poor among you, um, your people may get food from it and wild animals may eat what's left. Practical, but also community living. This is about egalitarian living. This is about people being equal, about including the marginalized and the poor. It's good, sensible community living. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Those instructions were given in that ancient world all those years ago. And you know, in the Old Testament, we see some really good shining moments of when these instructions were followed. The year of Jubilee is a classic, you know, that that idea that you would cancel debt. What? Can you imagine all of a sudden being told by your bank that you owe nothing because we're cancelling the debt? This is extraordinary instruction given to God's people. And when they followed it, it was amazing. How often did they follow it? Not often enough. And we see that the biggest stumbling block to them living in this community-minded, egalitarian, loving, all-encompassing world, the biggest stumbling block was when they demanded a king. So the people of Israel were never really designed to have a king, and yet they kept asking and asking and asking. They really, really wanted a king. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you just keep badgering for it until you get it? You keep saving until you get it. You keep, you just keep researching until you until you finally can achieve it that's what was happening here for the Israelites and it's like a story I read just this week about a guy called Andrew Whitaker he was already wealthy lived in the US lived in um yeah Vermont maybe no West Virginia and he was already quite wealthy but was desperate to win the lottery so he just kept buying lottery tickets he could afford and he thought this is the be all and end all winning the lottery On Christmas morning 2002, he won the lottery. Powerball, $113 million, which is only because he took it as one chunk. It was actually a $314 million lottery win, but he decided to pay the tax and take the money. It it was the be all and end all, wasn't it? It was, this is it, I've made it. Now, a couple of good things that happened from this guy winning this ticket, he was able to set up a charitable foundation. He donated money to building churches in West Virginia. He gave the woman who sold the winning lottery ticket to him a home, a car, and a whole wad of cash. But some very bad things happened as a result of him winning the lottery. First of all, he used to leave wads of cash in his car and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in several break-ins from his car. Secondly, he started drinking very heavily and lost his wife. His marriage ended um, as a result of the way he decided to live his life. But the worst of it, thirdly, he spoiled his family, including his granddaughter, Brandy, who then attracted a bad crowd and died under suspicious circumstances a couple of years after that. 
Whitaker lost the people he loved and he lost all the money he gained. And he said, if, if, I think if you have something, there's always someone else that wants it. I wish I'd torn that ticket up. Well, I reckon the Israelite people probably wish they could take back that wish and that demand for a king because it didn't help them. They had been given a roadmap. Do you like that? I, that was on the spot. He, they were given a roadmap for how to live good, community-minded, kingdom living. And they instead drifted off and demanded a king. First, they got Saul, a completely bad, a moderately bad egg. Then they got David, who, yep, good and the bad. And then they got Solomon. And we can look at Solomon in all his wealth and think, well, perhaps that's the Israelites, you know, making it. Solomon in all his wealth was going so against those instructions that Moses had given, that God had given through Moses all those years ago. Here's, here's a list of what his table looked like each day. In 1 Kings 4, it says Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores, I don't know what a cause is, of the finest flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. Sounds like a Minard dinner. <clears throat> well, a mosh Minard dinner. And how was all of that possible? Well, because there were governors of certain sections of the Israelite people, and those governors would have to go to the people to provide all that food on a daily basis. So when there's a winner's table, there's also a loser's table. When there's a winner's table, there is automatically a loser's table. And so God set up a way where everyone would be provided for. And once we end up in Solomon's era with this king's table, there are winners and there are losers. Archaeology verifies the fact that Israel in this period was wealthy and that the king was extra wealthy. But there were always losers. And I, I did put a quote up for you on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, from Walter Brueggemann, who unpacks all of this in a very profound and rich way in the prophetic imagination. 40 years ago, he wrote this book, and it's as relevant today as it was then. He said, <clears throat> covenanting that takes brothers and sisters seriously had been replaced by consuming. Does it sound familiar? Which regards brothers and sisters as products to be used. And in a consuming society, an alternative consciousness is surely difficult to sustain. They were given a map, they were given a way to live a beautiful, free, worshipping God kind of community and they rejected it. We can't judge too harshly because I think we still live in that royal consuming mindset, don't we? as much as we can look at it now and, and, and judge it and say it doesn't work. As we look at injustice and poverty as part of this, um, this series we're doing, it, the kings, this, this idea of the rich and the poor, it was never part of the plan. Brueggemann again says, Solomon had set out to counter the world of Moses' community of liberation and he did it effectively. He had traded a vision of freedom for the reality of security. He had banished the neighbor for the sake of reducing everyone to servants. 
He had replaced covenanting with consuming and all promises had been reduced to tradable commodities. It takes a while. To, there's so much in that and we, we don't have time to unpack it. But I want us to think about the fact that when Jesus came, when he prayed that prayer, your kingdom come, and when he went to the cross, everything changed. Everything changed. And in a world where we still see the brokenness, we still see the winner's table and the loser's table, we don't have to lose hope because there's a light that came in when Jesus came that cannot be extinguished. And I say that because I've been reading John and I cannot get past the first few verses. This is so important to remember as we think about ushering in the kingdom, as we think about justice and advocacy, as we think about our place in that as individuals, as families and as Southern. It says in the start of John, in the beginning was the word, the word being Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I cannot get past it. I keep reading it every day, trying to soak in what that really means. In a world that seems so dark at the moment, in, in pockets of darkness, we see not just glimpses, but there are blasts of light and it, we cannot extinguish the light. You and I can be part of this light. I guess it's a really basic way of asking, but do you want to be part of Team Moses or Team Solomon? Team Moses says we are ushering in a new way, a new way to do community. Solomon says there's a winner's table and there's a loser's table. Now, if you're anything like me, you kind of oscillate between the two because there's something very comfortable about being at the winner's table and the winner's table we are at. But we are being called, we are being beckoned to this new kingdom that Jesus has ushered in. So how can we do that today? How can we do that in lockdown? How can we do that when we feel quite confined? Well, in simple and in big and in powerful and in small ways, starting, of course, with the hardest place, which is in our homes. Whether your home is just you and you have to look a bit broader in, in your street, in the people you engage with online, whether you're part of a family where you're needing to love the people who you struggle to love in lockdown, whether this is about you walking and praying for your community, daily praying for specific houses that God prompts you to pray for, whether it's donating to Tear or to Eden or to Global Interaction, we can in big ways and in small ways usher in the kingdom. We don't have to be living at the winner's table rejecting the fact that God has provided a different model. Jimmy Carter, who was the 39th president of the United States, went on, goes on, he's 96, 97 now, still works at Habitat at Humanity when he can, still does um, 
amazingly compassionate work, when he was talking about religion and particularly fundamentalism, he said, there are three words that categorize fundamental Christianity. It's pride, domination, and exclusion. That's Solomon's table. In sharp contrast, says Jimmy Carter, Jesus espoused humility, servanthood of leadership, servanthood of leaders, and breaking down walls between people. I'm going to say that last bit again because this is what we're called to. Jesus espoused humility, servanthood of leaders, and breaking down walls between people. Please be thinking and considering how you can do that as an individual, how you can do that within your family, within your neighborhood, within your online community, within this world that we find ourselves in. Not in a way that makes you feel guilty all the time because that's not what it's about. It's about light and the light that can't be overcome by darkness. May we take that into our week this week. And next week we will hopefully be rejoining Restream, which is what we did last week. I'm pointing there because that's where I'll be standing. And we'll be hearing from Alex as he continues these themes. And it will be great. We hope to engage with you in a in a in a new and better and different way and it will be great to hear from more people more stories so please go and enjoy your week enjoy your unpacking the roadmap and i look forward to seeing you next week see you later